Well, we're in week two of our Advent series called The Present of Presence. Uh, I was thinking this week, just as I talked last week about gifts and giving gifts and getting gifts, that is a, a, obviously a part of Christmas. My wife and I finally did a little bit of shopping for our kids on Friday. Uh, it is hard to shop for a 13-year-old uh, girl, just uh, if you didn't know that. That is somewhat difficult to, uh, to figure out what that looks like. And, and we ended up, you know, a couple hours shopping, we ended up just going home and buying everything online. Not sure why we even left the house uh, that is a, a benefit to be able to shop on, online. And as we were shopping, Heather and I, we were trying to figure out what it looks like to give gifts to one another as we get older. And, you know, now it's usually we're out and we're like, oh, we need that. Let's just buy that for Christmas. Is that good? Is that good? And, but this, uh, the other day we were at a store and there were these socks and we were looking at these socks and Heather said, well, do you want some socks for Christmas? And I thought, how old are we getting that socks become one of those gifts that you give? And then I actually was kind of excited about possibly getting some, uh, they were really nice, cozy socks, but... But for Christmas, and so we know that gifts are an important part of Christmas. We know that. Uh, I would never want to, to push on you that you shouldn't give gifts or you shouldn't enjoy receiving gifts. But we know there's more to this season than just some presents under a tree. Hopefully you know that. Hopefully you've gotten to a point where you understand that. And maybe not. Maybe the idea of something more is new to you. It was new to me as a teenager. Christmas really just meant gifts. Uh, it was one thing to me as a kid because I didn't know about Jesus and once I became aware of that, I began to see that Christmas was much more than just, just presents. And so we thought, okay, well, what is it that really matters? And we thought there is this present that matters, and it is the presence of God in our life. That, that is the most important thing during this season, is understanding the presence of God. And so we want to slow down and pay attention to that over the next couple of weeks here at Trinity uh, in this season of Advent when we pay attention to what exactly it means to have the presence of God in our life. See, before this moment, and I, and I did it last week, I went behind the wall and I said, you know, before Jesus comes as a baby, there would be these people who would hear from God. They would hear the voice of God and they would communicate to other people what God was saying. But it always seemed like it was this sense of God was out there somewhere. And then in this moment, everything changes. As God enters into our world in the form of a baby, everything changes. Changes. We see in Matthew 1.23, it says this, I read this last week, it says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That God is not distant, he is near to us, that he's not a stranger out there somewhere. He has a face and he takes on flesh, that he physically stands in the midst of his creation and with his people. And this changes everything. I was thinking we have so many babies who have been born around here lately, and, and I was just thinking that the, the ability to hold a baby, right, the gift and the joy that that brings, and that for Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she holds the God of the universe in her hands. I mean, the presence of God changes things. And we looked at last week that the presence of God brings this hope to our life, the God of hope. Uh, I'm going to use Alan again, uh, just a brief <laughs> reminder of last week. We talked about this idea that God is the anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And we said, we might know that, but there's something that always needs to take place to make sure we feel the presence of God. There are times when we, we don't feel it. And so we make some decisions, we do some things, and slack enters into the line. Uh, Levi Lusco, I, I said this last week, a pastor up in Montana who lost his daughter on Christmas Eve and wrote a book. 
he has this saying, a couple of things that I've taken, but one of them is our hope has a rope, right? If he's an anchor to our soul, an anchor has a rope. And so we stay closely connected to the God of hope. But what I'm learning is the closer we get to God and the more connected we get to God and we feel this hope, there is something else that takes place. It's not just hope that we experience, and we read earlier, but it is peace. I think there's a direct correlation between the hope we have in God and the peace that we experience in our life. The hope that you have also brings peace to our hearts. We talked about the song last week, the, the line, the, the weary world rejoices. And in your life and in my life, in the weariness in our life, we need someone to help us get out of that weariness, that weary world. We will do all we can. We will try all kinds of things, whether it's something uh, bigger and better or someone. We are longing for someone to give us hope and peace in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our grief and in our loss and our brokenness. We're just looking for something to rescue us out of our weary world. As a kid, I would go out to this small town called Henrietta, Oklahoma, only a couple thousand people, and I loved leaving Oklahoma City and going out to my papa's farm. And one of the things, I had an older cousin, and so 13, 14, my cousin would drive the truck, this truck, around my papa's farm. And it was one of my favorite things to do. I don't know if you've ever experienced that uh, as a young person, but uh, there is a lot of trouble you can get into as a young person on a farm. And, and I can remember uh, one time, my, my papa very clearly says, do not go to this part of the farm. You will get stuck. And my papa leaves, and my cousin and I are like, man, papa doesn't know what he's talking about, right? I mean, we can, that's where we want to go, and that's where we're going to go. And so we go, and, and obviously, my papa knows best, and we get stuck in the, the mud. And I can remember for hours, my cousin Mitchell and I trying everything we could to get out of the mud. And if you want to talk about having no peace, uh, that was a moment of having no peace because I knew if we were not able to get out, my papa was going to find out what we had done. And, and we had to humble ourselves and go find my, my papa. But he, in a moment, was able to rescue us. Right? He takes the tractor and he hooks it up and he pulls us out. But something we were unable to do on our own, someone or something had to intervene on our behalf. It's true for your life. I, prom- I can't guarantee you a lot of things, but I promise in your weariness, in your weary world, in the midst of everything that you're experiencing. And this time of season seems to bring those things to the forefront. The grief that you've experienced, whether it was this year or 20 years ago, the season of Christmas will remind you of those people who are lost and are no longer with you. There will be this. It'll be obvious. And in that weariness, if someone or something doesn't intervene, you will stay in that place. In the brokenness of relationships, maybe it's still a marriage that's broken or it's a divorce or difficult with a child or a parent, whatever it is for you, it will come out during this season. So I think it's so important as we think about those things that we are reminded that God is a God of hope and he is a God of peace. And it isn't hard to realize that our world needs peace right now. Right? We need peace right now. We, we know that there's wars that are going on uh, all over our world. We, we know the problem with refugees. We just heard about that a couple of weeks ago. We see in the news this caravan of migrants that have made their way and they're seeking asylum and some for the right reasons and some not. And in that place, it seems to be no peace. 
There's hatred and bigotry and racism and violence in our own community. And so we are longing for peace. All people are longing for peace, but it's not just peace out there. It's not just peace out there. It is peace within as well that we are longing for. And so as we talk about that this morning, I want you to begin to think about something. When you lay down at night, when you attempt to fall asleep, what is it that gets you through the day? What, what is it that restores your heart and brings peace to your life? What pep talk do you give to yourself as you try to fall asleep or you stay awake through the night in the midst of your weary world? What, what is it that gets you through those moments? Is a thought of just, if I just had a little bit more, whatever that is, more money, more success, more power. If I could just, if I could just have that, then I would have peace. If it's that person, if it's the relationship, what is it that we need? Because I know, and this is a massive understatement, I hate to even say this, but life is hard. Life is hard. And so as I said before, whether it's grief or loss or brokenness, we experience it during this season. And so I want you to experience peace. I, I want peace in my own heart and in our own community and in our world. We are longing for peace. And so I'm going to read a story out of the scriptures today. I'm going to read a story about Jesus coming. And it's one of those that you've probably heard if you've been in church. And so I was thinking about it this week. I, I think this is, this is kind of a dangerous time of year for me. As I stand and preach, my, the reason I say that is because you've heard it before. And, and I think there's a danger that you can become so familiar with the story of Christmas, with, with Jesus coming. We become so familiar, we miss out on what God would want to say with us. Have you ever missed out on something? Have you ever missed out because you've been so familiar? Have you not seen the beauty around you because of being distracted or paying attention to something else? I don't know if you've ever driven uh, the Pacific Coast Highway. Uh, it is one of the most fascinating drives. There's a, a picture of it if you've never seen it. It is beautiful and terrifying all at the same time. Uh, Heather and I drove this one time when we lived in California. And to be honest, I cannot remember anything but the road right in front of me, right? Because of the, the, the presence and the awe of, of the height and the mountains and the cliffs that one wrong move and you're done, right? Like, that was all I could think of. And so I missed the beauty around me because of the, the chaos in my mind of what could happen. And so as I read this story, would you just lean into it for just a few moments? Because as you hear it, you're going to think, oh yeah, I feel like we talk about this every year. And maybe we do. Maybe we do. But, but this is one of my favorite scriptures to teach on at Christmas time for a few reasons. And again, if you've been in church, I think there's a a sense of losing the awe and wonder of the story of the coming of Jesus. It just becomes familiar. and We've lost the beauty of it. And so my hope is that you'll see that today. Uh, Luke 2, 8 through 14. If you don't own a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible around you somewhere. Uh, we'd love for you to take that. That's our gift to you. It'll be on the screen, uh, but maybe you want to pull it up on your smartphone, take notes, uh, whatever helps you, I'd encourage you to do. But Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there's a page number for those of you who will use that red Bible says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. There are a few very significant things I want to point out in this scripture. A guy named Tim Keller who pastors and writes and is a great theologian, and I I read and listen to a lot of what Tim Keller uh, puts out there, but one of the things he often talks about is this kingdom economics, that there is a different economy when it comes to the ways of God. As we think about our own lives, there are some smart ways to invest money and some dumb ways, right? Those things we could all agree on. Uh, no debt, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. Only buy what you can afford, that's, that's good. Smart investments, I'm not sure what those are, but if you make some smart investments, maybe that's good for you. And in an economy, we, we see those things. But we also see in our world, there are some things that rise to the top that are maybe a little different than the kingdom economics of God. The idea of holding power, right? Of being the most powerful person that you can be. We see the the striving of certain positions to only be able to use that for our own good and not the good of other people. Just making connections with the right people. Ulterior motives, if I could just get connected with them, then, then things would benefit me. Or the place that you live, we elevate people with certain zip codes. There's an economy to our world that is very different to the economy of God's kingdom. It functions very differently. And we see this in the story. And this is what I mean. The good news that Jesus is coming is being heralded by an angel. And and I like to pretend of what might have taken place. So you're not going to find this in the the scriptures. So don't try and look for it and think, I can't find it. I'm, I'm imagining what it might have been like as God picks an angel to go into our world to say, Jesus is coming. Jesus has been born. And, and God picks the angel out and says, hey, you're going to go tell everyone. And then God tells the angel, you're going to tell the shepherds. And I wonder in that moment if the angel kind of takes a step back and is like, I know you're God, but um, are we sure that's who we want to tell? Right? Don't we want to go tell someone who is powerful? What, what king do we want to go tell? What What prince or princess should we tell? Because they'll get the word out quicker. Don't we want them to know? Those who are in power, shouldn't they be the ones that we go and tell? God says, no, 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 no. See, my economy works differently. I want you to go and tell the shepherds because they are the ones who need to hear it. They are the ones who are going to communicate and see Jesus come. See, it's not the religious elite or those in power It wasn't the ones who had the great quiet time every morning or never missed temple. It was the shepherds, the broken, the isolated, the forgotten. And see, this is what I mean by that. And you probably don't know this. I don't know if you have friends who are shepherds. I don't. And so we're not really familiar with the the culture of being a shepherd. But in that time, a shepherd would not be allowed to speak in court. His testimony wouldn't count. No one would believe the shepherd uh, the, the lives that they, they lived um, were, were not the best. They were known as thieves. They would go into areas that were not theirs and allow their livestock to graze and in a way steal from whoever's land that was. 
the Jews would reject them. They were outside. They thought they were outsiders, outside of the covenant of God. They were ceremonial unclean, so there's no way they could ever attend the temple because of the lifestyle that they lived in the fields. They couldn't obey the laws that they had to uh, obey, and so they were seen as outsiders, that, that God couldn't be for them. And, and I often wonder about those who, and maybe you're here today, who you would say, I'm not sure I believe in God. And, and maybe you have friends who would think these things about God because they sense that those who are in the family of God see them as outsiders. Let me say that again. If someone who sees themselves as not a follower of Jesus and maybe not believing in God or wanting to follow God, there might be this idea that they have about God because of the way those who follow God have looked at them or treated them or spoke about them. And they may see themselves as outsiders. And they begin to believe certain things about themselves. Well, that God already hates me. I've, I see the signs. I've, I've seen what people say about me and my life, and, and they, they say that God hates me. So why would I want anything to do with a God who hates me? And they begin to believe this, and that, that God is against them or after them, that they are written off by the church and by God. Well, why would they want anything to do with God? And I think this is how the shepherds would have seen themselves, that they are complete outsiders and in no way have the hope of what might Come, and God says, I want you to go tell them. I want you to go tell them the good news that Jesus has come. And so it was in this moment in my thought that the gospel is spread and preached for the first time. That the good news of Jesus would be for all people. And that means all people. That he is for you. And this brings peace. You might be thinking, okay, where, where does the peace begin to come in? See, see, the peace comes because there is a direct correlation with the presence of God and the peace we begin to experience in our life. The gift that was given was Jesus and something begins to happen. And so we, we see this then, we see the, the gospel begin to spread even in the moment with the, the shepherds. And I don't know if you know this, but as the outsiders are told about Jesus, Jesus comes and things don't change a whole lot. Even as Jesus begins to do his ministry, he really is interacting and going after those people who would have been considered outsiders, those who are far from God and the temple would want nothing to do with. Then I don't know if you know this, and I would love this to be said about my life when I'm, when I'm gone and people begin to speak about who I was. The main accusation that came out about Jesus is that he was a friend of sinners, it wasn't that Jesus said he was God or he was the Messiah. The problem people often had with Jesus is the people that Jesus spent time with, that he was called. He's a friend of sinners. And it was a way of trying to discredit Jesus. But if you're like me and you've experienced the hope of God and the peace of God, you're probably thankful that he is a friend of sinners because that includes all of us and that we need this God in our life. And so we see the angel appear and they are filled with fear. Again, probably wondering what is about to happen. Uh, the fear of being caught or found out. The fear of saying, oh, this is now our time because 
God knows what we've been doing. We haven't attended the temple and we now have this angel before us. But the angel in the very beginning says, do not be afraid. Don't fear. Don't fear God and don't fear the message that is coming to you. I have good news to tell you The Christ, the Lord has been born. And this is a great joy for all the people, including the shepherds. They tell them how we'll find this baby. It'll be swaddled and in a manger. And before the angel finishes, there's this great heavenly host that comes and begins to sing. And they say, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. See, the glory of God means this pushing away of things. The glory means the heaviness or the weight of God. The weight or the heaviness of God is entering into our presence and it is pushing things out of the way. The birth of Jesus is very significant because it is through his presence that he is making peace with mankind. That he is allowing us to be at peace with God. I shared last week my story about Kennedy and uh, the, the person who pulled up in the driveway. And if you weren't here, I, I won't tell the whole story. But there was a moment where my daughter is home alone and she is in fear. And um, as a good father, I called the company on Monday as I figured out who the company was because I wanted to speak to someone about what had happened. And I know I'm a pastor, but I'm also a dad. And so in that moment, I tried to um, be as kind and as gentle as I possibly could, but I wanted them to understand the fear that my daughter had and the, the fear that as her father I had as well. And the lady on the other line was one of the most gentle people I've ever spoke to on the phone. And her worry that she experienced even with me sharing with her what had happened and she apologized and explained who the company was and it was legit. And like in that moment, there was this sense of peace of what had happened, right? It didn't take away the problem. It didn't take away everything else, but it was in that moment, this clarity that peace could be felt. And it's in this moment as the shepherds hear the angels speak that the weight, the heaviness of God had come And with the heaviness and the weight and the glory of God, peace has entered into our world. And so the brokenness that we've experienced, our rebellion against God, does not lead to peace. It doesn't lead to peace with one another, and it doesn't lead to peace within our hearts. Maybe you've heard it said that with no God, there is no peace. This will go on the screen, I think. No God, no peace. N-O, no God, no peace. But if you begin to know God, K-N-O-W, if you know God, then you begin to know peace, that we're able to experience true peace with God and with ourselves and with one another because of Jesus. That we're unable to experience the fullness of life. Listen to this. I don't think you're able to experience the fullness of life without the reconciliation with our creator. Life can be good. Relationships can be good. I'm not saying that. I don't think you'll ever experience the fullness of life without this reconciliation with God, which also leads to a reconciliation with others. And so can I say this, as we begin to experience this peace that God gives us, if you haven't experienced that peace, today is a great day. Today is a great day to realize 
that just as the shepherds hear this great joy, this great news of great joy for all the people that includes you, that today you could say, I need that in my life, this peace that only God can give. But it also should be pushing us to be at peace with one another. That we should be longing and striving to be at peace with other people. And just as grief and loss and brokenness comes to the forefront during this season, I think this idea of unforgiveness, of hurt, how others have done things to us, we're also reminded of those things. And so I just wonder, and I don't say this lightly because I know it's really hard. I just wonder if during this season of Christmas, maybe there's someone that you need to reconcile with. Maybe there's someone you're just not at peace with, and, and maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's your fault. You've said some things, or you've done some things, or you've walked away from the relationship, and maybe, just maybe, the God of peace that reconciles you back to him will help you reconcile yourself back to someone else to be able to say, I'm sorry. And maybe it's 1% of the problem is your fault. And we've talked about this before. Then you just own that 1%. You go to the person and you own that 1% and you seek forgiveness and you seek peace with them. But, but maybe it wasn't your fault. Maybe it was something that was done to you. Maybe it was said about you. And maybe in your heart, whether you have a, a conversation or not, you just begin to seek peace with that person. You ask God to help you have a spirit of forgiveness towards that person, that you would let go of some things, that you would no longer hold a grudge or wish ill upon someone, that maybe, maybe the God who reconciles and brings peace to us would help us to be at peace with one another. And again, I have those things in my own life too. So I'm not asking or telling you to do something that I don't have to do as well. And as hard as it is, I believe that God will help us to do that. And so my thought is maybe this good news of great joy for all the people that the glory of God has come and that peace will rest on his men and women. Maybe there's an opportunity to be at peace with one another. How do we do that? Just real quickly, Paul, who writes some of the Bible, didn't like Christians, hated Christians, helped persecute and, and beat Christians, becomes a Christian, and he writes these letters uh, back to followers of Jesus, and he begins to talk about peace, and there's two things. There's two things I would want to share with you, two scriptures that, that Paul talks about and what that might look like. And my prayer for you as I do this is that you would know the ruler and the great guardian of your heart the one who might help you to live a life of peace with God and with one another. Colossians 3.15, Paul says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If you are like me, there are lots of things that want to rule your heart. Anxious thoughts and worry and fear, a comparison to someone else, insecurities, a lack of confidence in who you are because of who God is. There are all these things that are going to want to rule your heart. And Paul says, could you just let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts? If you're not a Christian, the, the peace of Christ that could rule in your heart is this idea of surrendering to Jesus. That there is a peace that comes when you know you're forgiven for everything you've ever done. That is a great peace to experience. It is the ultimate peace that we long for. 
that as followers of Jesus, maybe there's times where we hold on to things and want to remain as God in certain areas and anxiety and stress sometimes, not always, anxiety and stress sometimes flows from taking responsibility to fix things that aren't ours to fix. As a pastor, I've had to work through that and, I, and I'm often honest with you in this area and, and I think God has given me the gift of empathy to feel what others feel and to dive into those areas. And so part of my life is, is carrying the weight of what you experience and the brokenness that's going on in your life and the pain and the grief. And so I enter into those areas and, and the, the empathetic person in me wants to fix things. Like I'd love to be, I can't always fix myself, but man, I love if I could fix you, right? If I could just fix what's going on in your heart and in your lives, I love to be able to do this. And in a weird way this week, I was thinking of the carnival game uh, where you, you spray water in the clown's mouth. Have you ever seen this? And there's a balloon connected on the top. And if you get the water directly in the hole, the balloon fills up quickly and it, it busts. And so in my mind, I'm like, if I, if I can just do everything the right way and get this into your life, then everything will go well for you. And what I've realized is no matter how good of a shot I am, I cannot do that. And so the anxiety and the stress that often enters into my life is because I take responsibility on for things that I can't control. And my guess is you do that also. For other people's lives, for situations that are completely out of your control. And those things are the things that rule in your heart. And the word that is used here, this rule, can be translated as an umpire or the one who determines or decides. And so Paul is saying, let the one who decides for you what is good. Let the one who decides how you experience peace take over your heart. Not your own emotions, not your own feelings, but let the one who can rule in your hearts be the one that helps you in the midst of your anxiety and worry and fear and the lack of peace. Maybe you could just let <clears throat> the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he says this, and this has been an important scripture in my own life, and we'll finish uh, with this. Philippians 4, 6 through 9, it says this, and this first one is hard. I'll just say that before I read it. Uh, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Ugh, that's hard, all right? I mean, that's one of those, like you read that and they're like, Paul, you don't understand what's going on in my life, right? Paul had a difficult life. Paul didn't have it easy. He's not writing this from experience of, of a lack of pain or worry. Right? People were looking to kill Paul and Paul would eventually give his life to communicate with Jesus. And so Paul lives in this world where he's able to say this. As difficult as it is for us to hear, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace, last week it was the God of hope, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. Emmanuel, 
God with us, that God will be with you in the midst of those things. So if you want to take notes, here's three things I would encourage you to do this week real quickly. One is this idea that thanksgiving can lead to peace, that thanksgiving can lead to peace. See, peace is not just the absence of fear or struggle or grief or loss. It's not just the absence of those things. It is the presence of something or someone else. In the midst of those things, it's not that those things necessarily go away, but the presence of God will be with you. He said, by prayer, by asking, by making petitions to God with thanksgiving, thanking God for who he is and what he will do, will begin to be the ruler of our hearts and it will begin to guard our hearts and minds. So it says, if you're anxious, make it known to God. If you're afraid or if you're worried, Make it known to God and be thankful for his presence, not necessarily that everything will go away. I wish it would, but it doesn't always go away. And words seem empty and unhelpful, but the presence of God will be with you in the midst of those things. The second thing, right thinking will begin to lead to peaceful thinking, right thinking. He says, here's some things to think about. When you're, when you're afraid or you're anxious and there's no peace in your life, you begin to think of things that are true, the things that are noble, the things that are right. We talked about this last week, right? The, the voice in your head and the way you speak to yourself, when you are not experiencing peace, begin to think about the right things. We must think about the things of God. So if you want peace, Paul says, begin to think about the right things and it will begin to lead to peace in our hearts. And then Paul says, whatever you've learned, whatever you've received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So we begin to say, all right, well, we want to practice what Paul preaches. What we see in Paul's life as he deals with the things that are going on, we want to also do. So when we're anxious, we'll pray. When we have thoughts of things that lead us to not have peace in our hearts, we begin to think about other things and that the God of peace will be with you. And then our response is to love him. Our response is to pursue him. See, this idea of guarding uh, our hearts is this idea that we're completely surrounded by or fortified by God in his presence, right? That you are not alone. That you're not alone when you're seeking hope and you're not alone when you're seeking peace, that God will be with you. And so just as the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. And there's a reason we don't have to live in fear. We can have peace in our lives is because the presence of God has entered into our world. And the thought is with that presence with God, everything will be all right, although it may not all be right now. Everything will eventually be all right. Greg's going to come up. I'm going to read Luke 2, 14 again. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When you experience the favor of God and the presence of God, you will begin to experience the peace of God. Let me just say one more time, maybe you would relate to the shepherds and think you're seen as an outsider for whatever reason. Just hear me today say, the God who came then, the angels who give the good news to those people is the same God who is giving the good news to you and to me today, that there are no outsiders. 
that everyone has the opportunity to experience the grace and the love of God. And that what comes with that is the peace of God. Would you stand with me as I pray? God, thanks for this morning and thank you for being the God of hope and the God of peace. That when there are certain things that rule in our hearts, I pray that you would be the one that rules and that you would be the great guardian of our hearts. God, we pray for peace out there. We pray for peace. We, we pray against war and hatred. We pray against bigotry and racism and violence. But God, I pray for what happens in our hearts as well. That as things come after us and we experience things in this season, would you help us to see that there is peace? And as I know that things may not be all right right now, I know and believe and cling to the truth that everything will be all right one day. God, would you help us to have peace? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.